University. That means it's Wednesday night. It's podcast night. We have a very special guest, and we're very honored to have you here. It's Jim Harris from the Southern Voice. I know a lot of y'all have been uh, following um, this on Facebook, on the Southern Voice Facebook page, on his blog, on Fans of Warm and uh, Ray Honey, uh, and our Facebook page. And we are going to have a, a, a great show for y'all tonight to listen to, and we're very excited. And Jim, Jim made the trip from South Carolina, and um, came to see your brother in center. I did. I, I, you are four barbecue restaurants away from where I live. Well, I hope you had a good Alabama barbecue experience today. I absolutely did, and if I wasn't driving back late at night, I would have the same in reverse. Gotcha. Yeah. It's hard to pass up a good barbecue or juke joint. That it is. So, good deal. We're glad you're here. Thanks for having um, me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming. Um so tell us about the Southern Boys before we get into this. Well, you know, we just kind of stumble into it. Uh, in one of my retirements, I really just kind of, I've always loved writing. And so we started uh, publishing a blog with different uh, Southern-themed articles. And a lot of them really are in the Southern rock and roll, Southern music uh, segment. And it just uh, really has caught hold. We really kind of started focusing on it in June of last year, and since then we've grown with the help of a couple of uh, really, really great writers and support folks, and that team has grown as well, but uh, Delane and Christy, if you're listening, thank you so much. Uh, but w we now reach about four million people a month, and people That's just amazing. love Southern content. Uh, we get to cover some happy things, we get to cover some kind of sad memories of things gone by. Uh, we do food, history, heroes, kind of the quirky, obscure uh, Southern stories. We do a little bit of everything, but the common theme of everything is Southern. Yeah, it's sort of everything Southern. And if, you, if you're not following his blog, you need to. It's the Southern Voice. It's fantastic. Um, you've even been corresponding with my mom on your Facebook page. Absolutely. She's like, I'm so excited that Jim's going to be in town. So. When I found out your mom was reading our stuff, I proofread a little bit closer. <laughs> I didn't want to have to explain away a mistake. Well, yeah, well, she, she'd go with it, so she's a cutie pie. Anyway, we're glad you're here. And going with the Southern theme, she makes a mean salmon patty. She does, she does. That's important. We'll have to have you back for that. So I uh, want to thank our sponsors, Lynn and Robert from Spices Smokehouse Crackers. Lynn delivered some uh, fresh bags of crackers uh, just a little while ago. want to shout out to Doug and Wendy Sherrod from Busted Oak Bourbon Society. We're actually going over there after the podcast for a warm listening party. And that, I think, is a good segue um, to how you learned about warm and like our first topic. Well, you know, like a lot of folks, I suppose I had never heard of them. And uh, one of our writers, uh, Delane, who also happens to be my cousin, but that also applies to most people in the southeastern United States, <laughs> um, was working on an article. She actually attended the Beatles show in Atlanta in 1965. I was doing a little research trying to help her develop, you know, some additional context for that story. And I ran across uh, a little bit of a blurb about one of the bands that opened for them. And uh, turns out it was a band called the Atlanta Vibrations. They had a 14-year-old guitar player named Spencer Kirkpatrick, mm -hmm. who is legendary in the Southeast. He's an incredible, incredible guitar player. I reached out to Spencer 
for information about the Beatles show for the story. And we started talking about various things. And he said, well, if you're writing about Southern music, he said, you really need to check out this band out of, he referred to him as from Boaz, Alabama, called Warm. And that was what kind of kicked it off. So I started digging around and then I had occasion to, uh, uh, one of our readers is a fellow named Frank Carver from this part of the country. And he connected me with some folks who connected me to Tracy, who connected me to you all. And all of a sudden I interviewed, you know, Mike Bruce from the band and it just kind of snowballed into what I felt was like a, a story that I just truly, truly enjoyed writing. That's great. And here you are tonight. And I, in the course of doing this, I've had occasion to listen to probably 20 warm tracks from various recording sessions over the years. And, and I got to tell you, they, they absolutely were one of those one decision away from greatness bands. I mean, one incident of the right place, right time, and they would have been huge. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, we love them. Um, They are uh, playing every now and then with a a mixed group of musicians, Tracy being one of them, Mark Thompson being one of them, um, and we hope to hear them again soon. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, we'll have to have you for that. So... Any other bands that we should talk about those bands that should have, would have, could have? Well, you know, it's interesting, and you and I have talked about this, it's a sort of morph, morphing over into a series of stories about, you know, a lot, of, a lot of bands, a lot of artists with just tremendous talent and one or two unlucky breaks just kind of kept them from being household names. And... Uh, there are quite a few of them back in, in the Southeast in the day uh, the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s, there were some great ones. Uh, uh, as I mentioned, uh, Spencer Kirkpatrick uh, was a guitar player for a band called Hydra. They had uh, two albums on Capricorn and one on Polydor. And they were sort of in the years where Capricorn was uh, maybe financially spread a little too thin. They were trying to support too many bands, and somebody got the short end of the stick. And so they, they released a couple of great albums on Capricorn, but they never really got the big support from the label. Uh, the label at the time was really focusing on maybe more of the Marshall Tucker band, Wet Willie guys. Right. And, you know, very akin to what happened to Warm. They, and interestingly enough, Hydra and Warm were managed by the same company. Uh, then there's a band called Riggs that was incredible. They got a couple of songs on the, the heavy metal movie soundtrack and Which then is a great soundtrack excellent soundtrack then kind of faded away and to show you what a great uh, guitar player Jerry Riggs is he uh, went on to play with Pat Travers who's no slouch no. and now he plays for 38 special so that kind of shows you the talent in the band but they never got a break right so you know there are a lot of a lot of those bands from back in the day and then there are some that got record deals but something got in their way before uh, they made it to the top, like, for example, uh, Rex with uh, Rex Smith. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they uh, were huge. They had three albums, were getting ready to start recording their fourth. They looked like they were maybe going to follow in the footsteps of some really big bands like Aerosmith. And then Rex got recruited by Hollywood and, you know, a, another label to, to go with a more pop-oriented sound, turned him into a sort of a teen idol kind of guy, very talented guy, but he went from heavy metal rocker to, uh, you know, more mainstream pop, and then, uh, uh, like, his guitar player, uh, Lou, uh, now uh, has a 
very successful band in Atlanta. Uh, plays under Lou's Blues Review. Okay. And uh, the bass player from Hydra was the bass player from Rex, who went to from Rex to Stars, which incidentally had Rex Smith's brother Michael as the lead singer. And Stars was cited by some of the major bands, Cheap Trick, Aerosmith, whatever, as inspirations and influences on their music and style. And the the bass player Orville from Rex went to Stars, and Stars is famous for being a couple of the guys that were in a band in the early 70s called Looking Glass that had a big hit with Brandy, You're a Fine Girl. Great song. So you start digging around in rock and roll and you find out everybody's one or two steps from yeah, everyone and, else. And we, we talked about that earlier, that, uh, you know, the old game, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. Exactly. Yeah, I think in rock and roll it's, it's like two degrees, right? two or three. Well, you know, and you and I talked about there's another band that uh, had all the talent. They had three things happen to them in a very short window of time uh, that may have been exactly what kept them from the top. And they sort of resurfaced about 20 years ago with their association in a film called Almost Famous that most of us have seen and heard of, and that's the band Stillwater. Right. And they had a hit single in 77, and they their single was rising up the charts, so all of a sudden they paired them up with the Outlaws, who at the time were one of the hottest bands in the country. Mm-hmm. So they, they put them on a, in a supporting role with several Outlaws dates, they played one date in Chicago, and their truck with all their equipment in it got stolen. They had to come back to Macon. It took them like three or four weeks to get everything put back together again. And so they lost that momentum while their song was climbing the charts. And, you know, in rock and roll, momentum's everything. Right. And uh, around the same time, Capricorn was having financial troubles, and Capricorn made a decision to change their distribution from one label to the other. So the label that was supporting the album stopped supporting it and there's a three or four week period where there weren't a lot of records produced or cassettes produced in the day in the pre-cd days and so you got a band that their song is number one in a couple of markets in the united states breaking big and they're ready to explode and all of a sudden their fans can't get their records and they just sort of fizzled out yeah and they were obligated to capricorn they recorded it they went back and recorded a second album that was some might say even better than the first but there was no support at the time and uh, they have a great volume of songs that a lot of people have never heard. And everybody should, they're on YouTube. You can't get them on Apple Music. You should check out all their music, but especially the single you were talking about was Mindbender. Well, you know, if you describe the song to somebody, you say, well, it's a, it's a song about a guy finding a talking guitar in a pawn shop. Most people would take that as a novelty song. But then you listen to the song, and you, there were a three-guitar attack, which was very common in right. southern bands at the time. And uh, you listen to the song and the musicianship in it, and you realize it's not a novelty song at all. It does have a talk box, so it it's a little bit like, you know, uh, Peter Frampton, Do You Feel Like I Do, right. and Joe, uh, Walsh. Joe, Walsh. Joe Walsh, but uh, n- not at all. But you listen to the song, and you realize it's not a gimmick song. This is not a Pac-Man fever song. This is the real deal. And then you listen to the rest of the album, and you're like, man, these guys can play. They're very good. And uh, when the talk box starts going, it, it, it explains the hill. Deal. And that song, that the whole album's a, a great album. I just recently was introduced to it. As a matter of fact, I just got a notification twenty minutes ago that it was delivered to my house because I ordered it off eBay. Yeah, great. The vinyl album, and it's a great album. 
Was it my daddy was a Gibson, my mother was a Fender? That's the why they call me Mind Bender. Mind Bender, yeah, that's great. The first time I heard it, I was like, man, these guys are but, great. But you know, these guys were playing with the Outlaws, they were playing with uh, the Atlanta Rhythm Section, they were playing with Marshall Tucker, mm-hmm. you know, they were playing with the big bands of the day, and uh, then all of a sudden they kind of, you know, got moved into the supporting role with the Outlaws for like several stops in a row, and you know, the Outlaws at the time were playing, playing in front of you know, ten to 20,000 people sometimes. And that was a tremendous amount of exposure to tie into a, a hot song that people were loving on the radio, and then all of a sudden the plug got pulled, no fault of their own. No, absolutely not. Bad timing, bad luck. Bad exactly. Luck. Yeah, now you've had some recent interviews uh, with some very notable people. Um, one of them recently was um, Michael Cardellone. Uh, we're, we've got a feature working on Michael Cardelloni, the drummer for Leonard Skinner. Uh, we've got a feature we're working on with Alan Walden, co-founder of Capricorn Records, also the guy who first signed Leonard Skinner, first signed the Outlaws, also was first guy to sign an artist that you may not have heard of, a guy named Otis Redding. Oh, yeah. who was, <laughs> I'm yeah, joking, but yeah. it's hard to be more iconic than yeah, Otis, yeah, Redding. Otis Redding. And... Uh, you know, so Alan had just an amazing career, and just the rock and roll stories go on forever. He's a fascinating, fascinating guy. Uh, so, yeah, we've had some really, uh, I've talked to several of the guys from uh, uh, Stillwater, and, you know, uh, they, uh, the name being used in the, the movie Almost Famous, uh, Cameron Crowe, who wrote and directed the film, reached out to Stillwater for permission to use her name, but it turns out it was more than just he came up with a name and coincidentally someone discovered that there had been a Stillwater at one point right. in time. He actually saw Stillwater play at, they think it was the Capricorn Picnic okay. back in the 70s when he was writing for Rolling Stone, and it, the impression that they made stuck with him for all these years, and that's the name he chose for the fictional band in the movie Almost Famous. Well, that's a great story. And did that not help them out a little bit that they, maybe not the original members, they ended up putting out another album? They? But they went back and they had a, had most of a third album in the can, but they didn't have distribution for it, so it just sat. And so uh, but this was before Almost Famous. Uh, they uh, went back in the studio with Rodney Mills, who is the... Rodney's been an engineer on a lot of Leonard Skinner stuff, Atlanta Rhythm Section. I mean, he is he is considered the creme de la creme of engineers in the studio. Uh, he was one of the original designers, probably the original designer of Studio One, which is where Moses Skinner's first album, sure. 38 Special, ARS. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Rodney put these uh, songs back together, and they released them. So, but again not available which is a shame well and yeah. that's one of the things that i had set out to do when i got on this warm stuff was this music and it's not about money nobody makes money off apple music they rip everybody off but this music needs to be available to carry on well it's a perfect point i had never heard of warm thanks to the connection with this article I've been exposed to a lot of warm tracks, and I am now a warm fan. But if this hadn't happened, somebody that doesn't write articles about rock and roll would have no reason 
to ever cross paths with Warm's catalog, but they're not on any streaming service, and that is, streaming is today's record store. Right. You can catch some tunes on uh, our, our some of our, our previous podcasts on YouTube, but uh, it, it's a shame, and we're, we're going to investigate that. Well, it's, all, it's even like Hydra. I didn't know about Hydra until we came in contact with you. And they actually, but they actually have some CDs. And now we have them. Because I ordered them off Amazon. Well, you know, all these bands, when you go back, you know, you, you go back and you talk to other people that were in the music world in that era, and they talk about these bands with such a great level of respect. And I'm talking about accomplished players that have really made their own mark in music. And when they talk about Warm, they talk about Hydra. Uh, they talk about Rex. They talk about some of these bands. I mean, they're like, you know, these guys were the real deal. But they're, they scratch their heads as to how some people made it, and, and these guys did didn't. And, and yeah, Just Warm's definitely... Wrong place, situation. wrong time. Yeah, wrong situation. So we're glad you brought this up um, and to the forefront. Sort of, uh, I know the folks around here really appreciate it. The article dropped this morning. Today. Yeah, it today. had a huge, huge readership. It's been very popular. That's a lot of good comments and very appreciative. A lot of folks here in the area also... Uh, kind of chimed in that, oh gosh, I remember seeing them back in the day, and you can tell that it just really gave them a, a nice smile on their and face. I, yeah, there's a lot of people. I, my phone blew up this morning when I got up, and I, and I saw the article dropped, and I already had text messages and calls, missed calls. I got up at 8. <laughs> those things. So, and that was early for me. It was early for you. I yeah. will give you that. You know, I don't know. Uh, what if we just were to talk to maybe one of the guys from Stillwater? Let's do it. Uh, how about Mike Causey? Mike, how are you? I'm doing great. How about y'all? Well, you are, I have a microphone right in front of my phone, so you are you are chatting to the world of rock and roll. So uh, for those All who right. don't know, we were just talking about the band Stillwater, had the, the big song Mindbender and a couple of great albums, really three great albums. Uh, Mike is uh, one of the three guitar players. Uh, all six guys, all six of you guys really kind of shared vocal duty, didn't you, Mike? Most, uh, yeah. So, sing, yeah. I didn't sing a whole lot. <laughs> well, you had the three guitar attack, which was, you know, kind of the the standard issue for the great rock and roll bands of the era. Yep. So, uh, anyway, just, uh, uh, we were talking about, uh, I went ahead and shared the story about how you guys lost your truck and Capricorn's distribution deal and, you know, some of the things that we talked about, but, uh, Thought you might want to share with some of our readers, maybe uh, some of the some of the artists that you got paired up with over the years. Some of the guys that maybe you bands that you played with, and you know some of the experiences you had in in the world of rock and roll. Yeah, we had to, we played with Atlanta Rhythm Section a lot. We really loved those guys, and we uh, wound up using Buddy as our producer for the for those records. Buddy Bowie. Yeah, for for those that don't know, Buddy Bowie goes back to the days of the Classics Four and the Candyman. He was one of the founders of Studio One in Dorval, and he has done his his catalog of records he's produced. Mike, I think you would agree that it's just absolutely incredible everything that he's done. It's phenomenal. He he had, he had a long long career. You're right. The Classics Four, Traces of Love, Spooky, and all those, and the Candyman. The room sessions, you know, and he, Buddy helped us on writing. He, he's a phenomenal 
lyricist. Well, he's a great guy. Uh, you, you've had a you've had some uh, pretty successful songwriting yourself, uh, so you kind of know uh, how that deal works. Uh, but you know, one of the things that before we we uh, started recording the podcast that we were talking about, and I kind of mentioned this to you the other day, so now. I'm going to ask you when you have a very large audience, so you're going to be on the spot. These guys are very interested in talking to you about a Stillwater reunion show here. They have a great amphitheater in Albertville, Alabama, and I think there's a lot of people over here that would like to experience the Stillwater rock and roll. Absolutely. What do you think? We try to make that happen. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. How's how's next Tuesday? Let's do it. We think we can get warm on the bill with you. Well, yeah, we we did clear up one of the urban myths. I know one of the, uh, if you go online, uh, there's a lot of people that debate about the the use of the name Stillwater for the almost famous film. And there are a lot of people that say, no, it was just coincidence. He came up with this name for a band and they researched it and found out they needed to clear it with another band, Stillwater. And so I wanted to make sure everybody was aware that uh, Cameron Crowe saw and really liked Stillwater from way back in the day, from back in the, I think maybe it might even have been a Capricorn picnic day. That's what I always heard. But then, you know, I wasn't, he, he, he kind of, you know, they talked to him later on. I think last couple of years, somebody said that he, he said he came up with, he just thought of the band, you know, just thought of the, instead of, you know, that story about him hearing us at the picnic. Yeah. That's what we always kind of heard. Well, I, I read that in an interview that he did in 1975 in the Atlanta Journal, and he referred to oh, you wow. all as uh, Wet Marshall Brothers, because he said y'all were the best of Wet Willie, Marshall Tucker, and the Almond Brothers. Wow. <laughs> Pretty high praise, wouldn't that's, you say? That's a big compliment. Boy, I'd say so. Just being that company is always nice. Wow. So you guys have played over the years, you've played a few reunion shows, but usually around like the central Georgia area, right? Right, exactly. So we are going to uh, probably, uh, if we get a chance later in the podcast, we're probably going to put Spencer Kirkpatrick in the same hot seat and ask him a similar question about Hydra. And then uh, uh, Ray, the guitar player from Warm, his brother, Tracy was just here a few minutes ago. He actually is the mayor over here, so I think we could probably get permits for anything we needed. Anything we need. So it uh, sounds like that well, there might be a reunion show in the making, so I'm, I'm sure the podcast uh, followers would love to uh, keep posted on that. Absolutely. I think we can put that together and make that happen. Well, Mike, yeah. Mike, thank you so much for calling in, and I can tell you that uh, Stillwater still has a lot, a lot of fans in the South and everywhere else, and we hope we're going to find a way to get your music back in front of a lot of people. And you have new fans. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I've been jamming to Stillwater all week long. Have you really? I, I have. I have too. Yeah. And my wife came in the other night. She was running a little late, late and she said, what are you listening to? I said, this is Stillwater. She said, that's damn good. Yeah. Wow. How about that? Yeah. Wow. Well, you guys were the real deal, so... Uh, uh, but thank you so much for taking a few minutes and uh, talking with us and uh, sharing a little bit of your story with uh, the, the listeners here. And uh, I will be in touch very soon, and we, we're going to stay on top of this trying to get something put together for an event. That sounds great. Thank you all for having me and playing the band. And 
we really that's that's really nice. I appreciate that. We, I was gonna tell you too, real quick. We played with Charlie Daniels a lot. Charlie was really great to us. Well, you know, I, uh, one of uh, the drummer, and I think you may have read the warm article. Uh, Mike Bruce, the drummer, was telling us a story about when they were on an early tour with Charlie Daniels, and this was when Charlie was just trying to break loose himself. They were so poor that I think it was maybe their drummer that didn't have shoes. Yeah. Oh, Charlie didn't have a T-shirt. Yeah. Yeah, that was it. Charlie didn't have a T-shirt to go on stage. So those guys were really, really struggling. So, you know, between Warm and you guys, you know, there's probably some really good Charlie Daniels I'm stories sure. that need to make the light oh. of day there. Oh, yeah, and I've got one I'll share some other time. But uh, <laughs> Charlie was just a great guy. What a wonderful man he was. He's very missed. Yeah, they were. Sure. They were just awesome. All right. Well, Mike, again, thank you so much, and I'll be in touch very soon, and we'll keep you posted on all these things going on. All right. Y'all have a great evening. You too. Thank you. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, yeah, from the the Mindbender, absolutely. Yeah, and if you hadn't listened to Mindbender by Stillwater, that song's a must. Yeah. You can get it on uh, YouTube where it'll play the – It's on Amazon Music. It'll play the whole album just okay. on, on YouTube. Just All right. well, that's it's, it's absolutely worthwhile to listen to the, both sure of the, the the first two albums, and actually the third album as well. They're and all really good there, music. There is vinyl copies on eBay because I, I have ordered one. Well, we we've talked about uh, trying to put together uh, a way to access the catalog for some of these artists and try to get them available digitally, because yeah. I do think that there's a whole new generation of folks out there that would just absolutely love. You know, I, I went to a Skinner show last uh, last summer, and uh, I was amazed that probably between a fourth and a third of the crowd was under twenty five. Absolutely. So they were they were not alive in the golden era of Skinner, so to speak, and they were on their feet the entire show, and they were singing every song. They were singing the old classics. They were singing the stuff from the newer albums, and. Uh, I think there's a whole new generation of Southern rock fans out there just waiting to, to I, get some I, more rock. I agree 100%. You mentioned Skinner, and we had the passing of Gary Rossington recently, and there's there's questions now. Um, is Skinner going to be Skinner? Are they going to turn into a cover band? And, and these bands that uh, don't have original members, are they now cover bands, tribute bands? What's your take on that, Jim? Well, I think it depends on the circumstance, but in the case of Skinner, you've got guys that have been on the stage with these guys for a long time. These guys have hundreds of shows with Gary Rossington. Ricky Medlock was on the Muscle Shoals tapes from 1971-72, and that was those tapes were when Alan Walden, co-founder of Capricorn Records, had an audition in Jacksonville. He had 13 acts that auditioned. Leonard Skinner was the 13th, and he signed them. And he took them and another band, uh, Oregon Zabel was the second band. And there's a guy in there that you probably have heard of. But he took them to Muscle Shovels to lay down demo tracks. And those tracks later surfaced on an uh, album after the plane crash called Skinner's First and Last. They had some Muscle right. Shoals sessions on it. And Ricky's on 18 of those songs. Yeah. So Ricky has has a part of Skinner DNA in him. Right. Uh, Michael Cartelloni, the drummer, 23 or 4 years behind the kit. That's longer than all the other drummers combined. combined. And how many of those shows were with Gary? Oh. Yeah. So, and you know, I mean, Damon Johnson, my God, this guy has the rock and roll resume of, I mean, 
you know, there's an old line from a movie about I'm a rock and roll god. Well, if there's anybody that could claim that title, he would have to be in consideration. You know, Sparky played with Charlie Daniels. I mean, these guys are, and some, some people say, well, you know, they look at the Outlaws or Molly Hatchet or some of these other bands. Well, they don't have any original members. They're doing it for the money. These guys are all quality enough players. They could go make big, big money anywhere they wanted in the music business. Right. You know, Ricky Medlock played for a little band in his uh, Skinner hiatus called Blackfoot, right. Platinum CD. Yep. Michael Cardalone was a founding member of Damn Yankees with Tommy Shaw, Jack Blades, and Ted Nugent. Not amateur company. You know, right. so, you know, the Outlaws only has one original member, but it's Henry Paul. And right. some of these guys have been playing together forever. Molly Hatchett has no members from the golden days, but Bobby Ingram's been there since the late 80s. And Bobby was in Danny Joe Brown, Brown the lead singer. Mm-hmm. He was in a band with Danny Joe before Molly Hatchett was even formed. So, and he also, with one guitar, plays what in the golden era was played by three guitars. And he absolutely carries the water. So the idea that these guys are some substandard or something, I think is, in my opinion, is absolutely ludicrous. I say to people all the time, what's your favorite football team? You might say, who? Uh, the Raiders. Well, college. Um, Jacksonville State University. Okay. Well, if you followed them for 30 years. So they have different players now than they did 30 years ago. Sure or if it's you're, the if it's, if it's the, the Crimson Tide or the Bulldogs. You, know, you don't stop playing or you don't stop being their fan because they're players that you like graduate. They have new players the next year. They have, th- compared to 30 years ago, almost every college in the country, even the one that you follow, has a different coaching staff, different athletic director, different university president, different players, but you still follow them. Well, and my thing is, there's 20-year-old kids now that are seeing Skinner. They're going to tell their grandkids, I saw Skinner. I saw Skinner. <laughs> yeah. They're not going to say this person and this person. They're going to say I got to see Skinner. That's right. And that's all that's going to matter. Well, that's exactly right. Johnny Van Zant. People say Johnny got into this gig because of his family relationship to the late, great Ronnie. I saw Johnny and his one of his first bands, Austin Nichols, open for the Outlaws in 1979 at the Agora. And if you start talking to people in the rock and roll business, You'll, un- you'll learn to understand that the openers always take it as, it, it's like a boxing match against the headliners. They want to blow them off the stage. Mm-hmm. They want to go out and register with the audience more so than the headliner. That's how they make their mark. That's how those people leave and go that's buy how, CDs. That's how Skinner and made theirs. Austin blew the Outlaws, one of the most formidable, band, formidable bands ever from the South, blew them off the stage. And then he comes back with the Johnny Van Zant band. This guy is no rookie. No, not at all. Yeah. Yes, he's not Ronnie Van Zant. He's not barefoot on stage. He doesn't swing uh, the microphone stand like a samurai sword. Right. But he he with sincere respect in his voice plays the classics. And then, but the funny thing is, when you see these young people and they play Red, White, and Blue from an album that was recorded. 25 years after the plane crash mm-hmm. and you see these young people standing and singing every word of the song. That's amazing to me. That part is because, you know, I'm so old school. I, I listened to the old Leonard Skinner and I never, I, I still listen to but the new. They did a really well album with Little Brother, I call him Little Brother, when they did Endangered Species. 
They did acoustic ver, and that's what to me that's some of his best vocals. When they did acoustic version of Sweet Home Alabama, they did acoustic version of Things Going On, and to me that's one of the best post Ronnie albums that they've done. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, no no one wanted to leave Skinner in the in the the rearview mirror when Bob Burns left and was replaced by Artemis Powell. No one wanted to leave Skinner in the rearview mirror when Ed King left and was later replaced with Steve Gaines. People grew to love Steve Gaines. That's right. You know, so the, the, this is a band is a fluid assembly of people. You know, very few bands put the same group on stage for 25 years without there being personnel changes. I love the football team analogy or the sports analogy to it. It's the same should apply. Well, I mean, it's one of my favorite bands. One of my favorite bands is the Eagles. And when Bernie Ledden left, they kept on ticking. And oh, yeah. Randy Meisner? They, yeah. Left. Yeah. they didn't just dump them to the side and say, hey, we're done with y'all. Yeah, same applies. So, in summary, my two cents worth, these guys are carrying the, the flag of the legacy of Leonard Skinnerd. They go out and they play with emotion. They play with... Just the the energy that you want to see at a Leonard Skinner concert. It's is it different than the some of the previous players? Absolutely. But is is it a show worth going to see? Absolutely. You bet your bottom dollar it is. Yeah. And the same with Outlaws. Same with Molly Hatchet. Same with Mother's Finest. I mean, yeah. your Mother's Finest has been around for fifty some odd years. A long time. They're still huge in Europe. They don't play the same size arenas here that they used to, but they sell out every place that they play, yeah. and they rock. And roll. They're great. Love them. Well, and so many bands, when when Dusty Hill died, it was kind of left up to the band. But Billy said, "We're going on. We're going on." Before they, the story. They is, already had it in place. They already had it in place. Uh, Dusty said, "Let Elwood take." And it and nobody's saying we're done with y'all because Dusty's gone. And just I mean, so you guys know, the the Skinner shows that are on the calendar for later this year, many of them are. With ZZ Top. Yeah. What a ticket. What a ticket. Absolutely. What a ticket. Love both of them. ZZ so. is probably my favorite band of all time. Yeah. Timeless. Hard yeah. Hard to be. So, Jim, what do you got coming up? What are the, what are the uh, interviews you got or you've done or you're working on? Well, you know, we've got uh, the Rex article uh, in the works. We've got uh, Alan Walden's profile in the works, Michael Cardelloni's. Profile. We've got a, a look at uh, the band uh, Stillwater, that, you know, right. Michael Cosby and Company that we just talked to. Um, so we just we got a lot of stuff going on, and uh, a lot a lot of good stuff on, in rock and roll. Uh, this is something your listeners will find interesting. Uh, a guy named Tracy Meisner. He's a filmmaker, and he has. In the works, a documentary on Studio One. Okay. Now, for some of you may not be familiar with Studio One, but that is where Leonard Skinner pronounced was recorded. Uh, Second Helping was recorded in L.A. except Sweet Home Alabama, which was recorded in Studio One. God uh, damn, I don't well, that was the one that, yeah. brought, that nothing was that? fancy was recorded uh, in in Studio One. Uh, the first, I believe, eight. 38 Special, uh, Street Survivors was recorded in Studio One, uh, Give Me Back My Bullets from Skinner, um, gosh, uh, 38 Special, uh, The Outlaws, 
Johnny Van Zant Band, mm-hmm. uh, Paul Davis, who was one of the great songwriters of all time, part of his singer of songs, teller of tales. Yeah, you know, absolutely. he had some hit singles, uh, I Go Crazy, 55 Love Affair. Song, and then you see Paul Davis's picture, and you're like, hey, it can't be that good. Yeah. Yeah, he looks like Leon Russell. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but so, but th- this was uh, this was just an iconic location in the the history of Southern rock and roll. And Tracy has thirty six, I believe, interviews. He has Buddy Bowie and Rodney Mills, the engineer. But he has Gary Rossington. He has Johnny Van Zant. He has uh, some of the thirty eight special guys, and just I mean, uh, just a storybook of Southern rock. And they get into how the albums were made, what was unique about the facility. The common thread through all of it is Studio One became like a family. You just heard Mike Causey talking about the friendship they developed with the Atlanta Rhythm Section. Well, the Atlanta Rhythm Section guys became friends with Skinner. The Skinner guys, of course, there's a family relationship. We're friends with 38 Special, and 38 Special guys were friends with, you know, and so on and so forth. And it was like this one big family. And if you start... Going back through the credits of some of these albums, you'll see how many of these guys appeared on these other albums. Atlanta Rhythm Section guys on other albums, and Stillwater guys, and and so on and so forth. And you know, Buddy Bowie is one of the common denominators in all this. I mean, this guy was just a genius. And back in the day, a lot of musicians floated in between studios. Sure, like they did. Hank Williams Jr. sang a song between making and muscle shows. Mm. And um, they they just floated back and forth. And if hey, I'm gonna stop by here. Well, right. you'll find this interesting. In addition to its great pedigree in Southern rock, um, Studio One was where the one of the great disco songs, considered one of the great disco songs of all time. I love the Nightlife by Alicia Bridges. Absolutely, that was recorded there. Nigel Olson, mm-hmm. Little Bit of Soap, and a couple of other hit singles recorded there. And he was Elton John's drummer Absolutely. before he went solo. Yep. And even, a, no- a, even a novelty song called Pac-Man Fever by Buckner I and Garcia was recorded at Studio One. Ronnie James Dio's first band, Elf, or first big band, not his first band, and their first CD was recorded at Studio One. Fascinating. So, you know, just, uh, it, it, they're fascinating stories. And Tracy has the great ability to weave this into a narrative that you're just going to absolutely love. And I think there's a good possibility that that documentary is going to drop before the end of this year. Wow. And Al Cooper always talked about how there was a... Oh, he's got an interview with Al. He talks about there was a sound there that when Skinner went to L.A. that the sound was just not the same. They couldn't Mm -hmm. get it there Mm -hmm. that that they got at Studio One. It just wasn't the same. Yeah, Al Al Cooper... uh, really massaged the Skinnerd sound. You know, on uh, one of the backup vocalists on Sweet Home Alabama uh, was Mary Clayton. And Mary Clayton was one of the backup vocalists on the Rolling Stones' Give Me Shelter. Oh, that was, yeah, that was Mary. That's iconic. Very talented woman. Iconic. Makes the song. Absolutely. But, you know, now you find the link between uh, Leonard Skinnerd and the Rolling Stones. And, of course, everybody knows Skinnerd's first big tour was with The Who, yeah. You know, and so they blew them off the stage. Absolutely. Yeah. And that was that was their big break was Al Cooper bumping into Pete Townsend in the hallway and saying, Pete said, I need a band to open up for me on my tour. And Al was like, I got the band. 
Yep. Yeah. Rock and roll has some fascinating stories. The best stories. So some of the some of the articles we have uh, uh, coming up, I, I don't want to steal our own thunder. So a lot of these are a lot of these stories are going to be in these articles with interviews from different people. But I promise you, if you love deep diving into uh, the interesting stories and sometimes the uh, the dirty corners of rock and roll, whatever. I mean, some of these folks are, are still glad to talk about their experiences, and uh, it's well, very. That's how this whole podcast and, started. And how did you get into doing these musical articles? Just you know, just uh, we do everything we do is southern in theme, and you know, to leave rock and roll out of the southern lifestyle is like you know leaving flour out of biscuits. Right. Just can't yeah, be done. Love it. Good. Good deal. So. Southern Voice, everybody. The Southern Voice. Um, what else you got for us, Jim? Well, you know, a, a couple. I wanted to mention a band that I, you, you and I have talked about recently, and, and there are bands coming out today that I think absolutely are very, very skilled, talented bands in what right. you might consider Southern, Southern Rock. Rock. Well, so there's Southern Rock, and then there's rock and roll bands from the South, and the two are not necessarily the same. Agreed. Uh, there's a band out of, uh, the, uh, Pendleton, South Carolina called seven year, Witch. okay. And these guys have had some support roles with bands like Buck Cherry and some other big artists. Yeah. And they are really making their mark. Uh, there's a band called Magnolia Bayou okay. and they are probably a little bit on the countryside of country rock, but they also rock. And then the band that really is most impressive to me uh, in Southern Rock is Them Dirty Roses. They're and great. They and just dropped a new disc or a new album this past week. They're yeah. from Gats. A couple of them are from Gats. And are they're they Alabama guys. Yeah, they're Alabama guys. It's funny that uh, I, I posted on our page something about uh, Them Dirty Roses. Thanks say you know. I'm getting a phone call from you going, what do you know about them? Yeah, so they're you said they're great. You should so check out. They're fantastic. Like he said, the album that they dropped this past week is it's a well, great album. My nephew plays bass for a up and coming country artist that just signed with Universal. His name's Dalton Dover. He's from Aragon, Georgia, and he's showing all the signs of really moving toward the top. He's very very talented, and uh, my nephew is the one that turned me on to the Them Dirty Roses yeah. guys. And he said, you know, you got to see these guys live. They are one of the few bands that not only doesn't lose anything from the recording studio to the live version, but the live version is even better than the studio version. There's bands like that where they're better live than the studio, for sure. These guys kick butt both places. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, Skinner was there. Because, you know, Jimmy Johnson shopped in from years, and nobody would buy them. And he's like, Jimmy told them, you've got to see them live. Yeah. But if you want to dig up some some of the lesser known acts from back in the day that are, you know, really good southern rock bands, a couple that you might want to start with are Doc Holliday. Okay. And Doc Holliday is big in Europe. They're they they never really clicked quite as large in the US, but uh, they have a huge audience. I think they still play European tours. And there's also a band out of Texas called Point Blank. And both of them have lot of their catalog available on the streaming services so if you'd really like to kind of expand your portfolio in southern rock that's a couple of good places to look good tips and if you like a little more of the kind of glam type hard rock then definitely check out the rex catalog yeah and then we're going to work on the hydra and the Stillwater and the warm digital availability yeah I, we need to get that done 
Absolutely. Somehow, somehow. we'll figure that out. So, uh, and hopefully we'll do this little um, reunion concert, if that's what you want to call it. But Absolutely. Uh, you know, Mormon Hydro on the same ticket. Absolutely. So, we need to do that. So the we need to do this before we all kick the bucket that's, show. Yes, that's exactly. <laughs> and that that's for the bands yeah. and the audience, a, right? A, a bucket a bucket get, list we, before we kick the bucket. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you know, one I love obscure stuff, as you know. You know, I've had that conversation. But uh, if you want to hear something that really, really rocks, and this is kind of an unusual combination, the lead singer for Mother's Finest is a lady named Joyce Kennedy, and she commands a stage like no one you've ever seen. I mean, she's just an incredible show person. But to show how, and I would say that they're sort of a funk rock, would you say they that's are. a fair description? Absolutely. And, uh, but in, in uh, I think it was the late 70s, she cut a lead vocal on a Molly Hatchet CD, Take No Prisoners. Get out of here. It's a song, Respect Me in the Morning. It's available on iTunes. So if you if you really want to kind of expand your horizons, check that out. It's under, under Molly Hatchet's catalog. Respect me in the morning. Respect me in the morning. And I mean, she puts on a, a she's showing off vocally. We were talking earlier. I got to see them in about, I think it was 80, 79 or 80. And I love them to this day. They haven't lost a step. I saw them last fall. They were a lot of energy, man. Absolutely. And she could felt it. Absolutely. Nikki's monkey. Baby love. So, yeah, I mean, rock and roll is just it's one of those things you can sit here and talk about forever. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's a timeless But If you grew up in the South, and especially if you grew up in the years that I did, it's just it's like it's part of your DNA. Me and you were only a few years apart, so I'm in touch. And Percy was raised right, so um, he, knows, he knows the deal. He knows what we're talking about. So, well, Jim... Been a great podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I've and enjoyed it. I, we're honored that you made the journey. I hope uh, you had a nice uh, visit with your brother. I most and certainly did. Enjoyed some uh, fine Alabama barbecue along the way. If my wife's listening, I had a salad. Oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, wife. I, I blew that one, didn't I? Man, card it. It yeah. was a it was a barbecue it was salad. A barbecue salad, very famous <laughs> with uh, light vinaigrette. So, yeah. <laughs> oh. I'll give you one more obscure one. This is one you can't find. Joanna Dean. We talked about her. Out of Nashville. She did one solo CD and one CD with a band called Bad Romance. It's worth looking up on YouTube. She did. Uh, she toured with Tom Kiefer from Cinderella for a couple of years. Oh, big Kiefer. fan of Tom Kiefer. And uh, she absolutely just another one of those Great, great talent, and just never got the promotion, right place, right time thing, right? But if somebody's listening, they've listened to this entire podcast, they have a whole bunch of stuff to go dig up and look for that'll really be a nice Southern rock experience. It's nice. It's nice when you can discover new music that's not new, that you didn't know about. Well, and that's a whole big part of our process. We do a lot of deep cuts. When we're doing countdowns and stuff, we're big on the deep cuts. We are big on the and, deep and, cuts. And it's great to find stuff that you didn't know about. Yeah. And you ask yourself, why haven't I heard of this? Yeah. Why is it taking me all these years to listen to this? So, good stuff. Jim, thanks for being here. Thanks for having thanks me. For I've enjoyed it. I hope we do it again. I hope we go get to see some shows together. I hope we can put this little tour together or this concert together. I hope we can figure out the uh, streaming services thing. Uh, we're on it. With your help, I think we can do it. 
Percy, what do you got? I'm ready for the listening party. Yeah, we're going to Busted Oak Bourbon Society next. We're going to listen to some more and have some uh, fine cocktails. And all I got to say is bye-bye.